Hey, this is Paul, a.k.a. Nermix, from the Intellivisionaries podcast. When I get tired of playing the original 16-bit console, the Intellivision, I tune into the SNES podcast. It's the best Super Nintendo podcast that I've ever promoted. Welcome to the Super NES Podcast. This is episode 10. Uh, episode 10 already, damn. Um, we're going to be talking about the classic and great game, uh, one of the best games for the system, if not one of the best games like of all time, uh, like in my opinion, uh, Super Castlevania 4, which was developed and released by Konami for the Super NES back in 1992. Um, and with me for this uh, episode, uh, guest, guest host, is uh, Cameron. Uh, Cameron also does a podcast, which is called the We're Going to Need a Bigger Show podcast, mm-hmm. talking about a whole bunch of uh, very topics. So uh, I reached out to him a while ago, and uh, both of us have a great love and appreciation for this game, so it seemed like a natural fit to just, like do a podcast together. Uh, so Cameron, it's great to have you on here. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, man. This, <laughs> like I said earlier, uh, I could talk about this game for a long period of time. I'm pretty stoked. <laughs> Yeah, that makes two of us. So we're trying not to bore the yeah. listeners out there. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you having like having the podcast very much. Like, how are things going today for you? Going, going great. How about you? Uh, doing all right. Um, this is actually a, a double ender, a back to back. People, oh, nice. 
people out there are not going to know this, but uh, I actually just finished recording the last episode with Michael Kelso on Wild Guns like about an hour ago. So, Oh, man, so uh, a big day. Yes, <laughs> to get in like two episodes. So, uh, Cameron, uh, tell me a little bit about your history and background like, as far as Super NES goes. Super NES is, is very special to me in the sense that it was the only system I got pretty much when it came out. I've mm-hmm. always been like behind the times. I got a, a PS1 in like 99. I got a, a an N64 in 97, like all the always getting stuff way after it came out. But this was one of the first ones I got about maybe half a year after it came out. And uh, I was about six at the time. And um, it's, I mean, it's always just been, I mean, part of it's nostalgia, but part of it's just, it's, it's hard to argue with the quality of the system. I mean, I've just, I've, always loved it and i still play it regularly you know either on the actual system or emulator to this day i mean i'm i'm a lifelong fan mm. you know since you mentioned like those systems are still being like produced and games are still being made for them like, they really weren't that far behind the times i mean there's not like retro gamers out there who won't buy a system and try to have been dead and buried for like two or three years it wasn't, but... it wasn't so far behind but it was it was like to the point where it wasn't retro yet but it mm. was definitely not new like mm. if i were to tell someone <laughs> hey, I bought a, a PS One. They'd be like, "Oh, I've, I've uh, you know, I've had that for about four years now, but that's cool." You know, so it's just it, w- it was neither new nor retro mm. at the point. It was kind of that awkward stage. Yeah, so it's not like you got your Super NES about the same time that I did. It's like it was a Christmas gift. Um, I want to say so. I'm okay. having a hard. I just remember going to Lowe's, you know, with my dad and my brother, and us all being really pumped and and bringing home uh, Super Mario World and kind of geeking out on that for ages as you can with that game. Lowe's used to sell consoles back then? Uh, yeah. Weirdly enough, they had the little display model out and everything. Huh. Like, where you could go up and, and play it for a minute. And I remember... Weird. Uh, I have a, a memory of going and going to Lowe's and playing for a minute and just seeing how the game worked and stuff and being like, <laughs> oh, you can you can fly in this game. <laughs> yeah, Super Mario World's definitely a classic. That's my favorite game in the franchise. So, oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's hard to beat. Yeah. Uh, so I got my system also for Christmas 91. I thought I was a bit older than you. Uh, I was a uh, 15 when I got my system. So, oh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, so uh, uh, the NES was the system I had first, and then I moved on to Super NES. But uh, right. um, but I got this game very shortly afterwards. Uh, I talked about this in past podcasts, so I won't bore the listeners out there too much. But um, Super Castlevania Mania 4 holds a special place in my heart, mostly because I got the game for my birthday two months later, in February of like 92, and uh, I was laid up in bed all week recovering from wisdom teeth <laughs> surgery. So, wow. uh, yeah, really a bad case. So I was just trying to make myself feel better because I was just like pretty much living on living on like uh, shakes and liquid food and that kind of stuff because I really couldn't yep. eat. So rented a number of games. Uh, I remember hacking away on Street Fighter 2 uh, like for a while also. A uh, great game, but uh, I used my birthday money to purchase Super Castlevania 4. This was a game I pretty much focused upon and beat during that week. Uh, yeah. I went through it about like a four or five day span. You loved every minute of it. So Yeah, yeah um, definitely. Uh, but I already was a big Castlevania fan by this point. Uh, I had all three games for the NES like when they first came out, and I really enjoyed all three of them. But Super Castlevania 4 still is, and is still to this day, my favorite game of the franchise. Um, I know it's a very controversial opinion. I know a lot of people out there like, will probably say Simply the Night is their favorite game of the franchise. And don't get me wrong, but I do love that game. I think it's a great game. Um, just like you know, Super Castlevania 4 for me just really, just really is that excellent rev- evolution of that classic uh, side-scoring platform feel that the earlier games had. I mean, as far as my opinion goes, you're just you're speaking the truth rather than having a, a, <laughs> a controversial opinion. My history with the game was that 
like as a kid, like you know, to the point where I don't really know what I'm doing when I'm playing games. I was playing the like NES Castlevanias, and I just remember getting you know annihilated. Those games they're still pretty difficult for Yo, me. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> so I had a friend who lived across the street, and I remember being about seven or eight. And his dad, um, he wasn't a big gamer, but he was big on Castlevania, Super Castlevania Four, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. He was really into it, and um, I remember. The, the strongest memory I have with it was that uh, he was stuck at um, one of the bosses. I, I'm having trouble remembering the names now. I know I've seen them all before, but, you know, it goes death, and then before that, the bat thing, and then before that, the skeleton thing with the spear. Yeah, that's the boss, the, the boss rush toward the end of the game. It's... Yeah, ex- exactly. Right. Um, it was that first one, the, the guy with the skeleton and the spear, he was stuck on it. And I remember me... You know his his son and his daughter. We we would all take turns trying to beat that boss. And in <laughs> retrospect, it's a pretty easy boss when you the pattern. <laughs> yes. But, um, but at the time, we were just we couldn't do it. We would all get like real psyched up and be like, okay, you got to get in the zone. Don't look at your energy. Just just focus. You know, just just do it. And and we never could get through it. And I think eventually he did it on his own. <laughs> I, my friend's dad. I mean, but that was definitely the strongest you know childhood memory i had from it and then from then on until i was like a teenager i don't really i I didn't really go back to it for whatever reason i never played it on my own Mm -hmm. but then when i was about 16 or so i found a cart at a like the used game place in town and took it home and i was just i was floored i was like this is everything i remember and more like i was i loved it Mm. and to me that defined the Castlevania experience. So a few years later, when you know the Wii came out and the virtual console and everything, and I was like, "Oh, I'll try Castlevania, Castlevania 2, all that stuff." And I was like, "What is this?" Because <laughs> the, the, the I think like anybody might know, I'm going in this direction. The controls are so, I guess, stiff is the word for it for the old Castlevanias, and you can see that as a good thing or bad thing. But I was just so used to being able to whip in any direction and and being able to you know change mm. directions while I'm jumping and all that kind of stuff mm. that any every Castlevania game I've played since then except for maybe Symphony of the Night um, I've always felt like is a step is like a step sideways or a step backwards mm. in that I just don't feel like I've got control I don't feel like um, I can do what I want to do I think the best examples would be like uh Dracula, is it Drac- Castlevania X? Um, yes, Dracula, Dracula X. Blood yep, yep. Port. And yep. then um, Castlevania Rebirth. Those are the most frustrating ones because they came after Castlevania 4, yet they were, again, in my opinion, a step mm-hmm. backwards because they didn't allow the all the all the options for movement mm-hmm. and attacking and all that kind of stuff that Castlevania 4 did. Yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. Uh, Super Castlevania 4 definitely did a lot of things differently. Konami definitely utilized uh, some different gameplay features and thumb functions and whatnot that really did not become standard in the games of the series. Uh, yeah. I'm not really quite sure why. Maybe feedback in Japan was negative because the game was very well received. So we're going to talk about this uh, later on, but the game was a smash hit. Uh, like North America at least. So I'm not really quite sure why um, about that. So maybe they felt some of the changes made the game too easy. To be specific, Castlevania 4, while it's challenging, I think it's probably the easiest game uh, like the original franchise. Definitely an easier game than Castlevania 1 and Castlevania 3 is, that's for sure. Yeah, I would, I would say that's definitely accurate. I have been unable to, with the exception of Symphony of the Night, I've been unable to complete a Castlevania <laughs> game. And, and that speaks as my skills as a gamer, even though I'm a lifelong you know type 
doesn't make me great at games. Mm. And um, more often than not, I find the NES Castlevania is more frustrating than anything. Mm. And that's what I like so much about Super Castlevania 4 is just that it's satisfying in every respect. Because I can get frustrated and I can get angry at the game and die a bunch and all that kind of stuff. But I always want to pick it up again. Hmm. Whereas the other ones, I'm like, okay, you know, and, and I know a lot of people might hear that and, and kind of roll their eyes or, or get angry hmm. at me or whatever. But that that's kind of my gaming experience. Is I, I like things to be challenging but not over the top, hmm. and that's kind of what it was for me. And as far as the maneuverability goes, and and you know, just the different options you had with Simon this time around, the fact that you could jump. Like, my favorite move is jumping and uh, whipping downwards diagonally to get the candelabras and stuff, because it made it, it, made it uh, like, smoother. So right. You could do things a lot faster. And that, it just felt cool. You're like, I'm, I'm still moving and I'm hitting stuff and, you know, taking out bats and mm. everything. Uh, to me, that's just, that's awesome. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of improvements that Konami made with this game to really make it stand out in the series. But don't get me wrong, I still love the earlier Castlevania games. I still play them and beat them every now and then. But this game is an evolution, I think, of those earlier games. That kind of like, you know, uh, Konami was trying to improve upon the things that didn't work and that kind of stuff. And like I said earlier, I'm really surprised some of this stuff is not you know, carried over later games. But uh, let's talk about the franchise a little bit here uh, for those of you out there who be all, be all that familiar with like, the series. Castlevania is probably one of the most uh, recognizable names as far as gaming goes. It's definitely one of Konami's biggest, uh, biggest franchises um, as far as as far as the games go. It got its start with Castlevania, like for the NES in 1987, and there were three games that came out that came out like the NES. Castlevania 2 is a departure. Uh, like Zelda 2, it's a very different game. It's kind of like an action, um, an action slash adventure slash RPG game. And for that reason, a lot of people uh, rag on it. Um, I happen to think it's a great game. Like I really enjoy it. Um, it's not as good as the classic platforming Air Castlevanias, I think. But it's still a very like fun, like fun, challenging game. I think it kind of. I remember reading this list a while back, and I, I, I hate that I can't remember everything that was on it. But it was like a list of, uh, you know, first sequels. In other words, like Castlevania Two, Mario Two. That there, there was like a lot of them that took a big leap in the other direction. Yes. And actually, you know, and and did it well. And to mm. me. Uh, I guess, you know, Super Mario 2 would be the most mm. uh, well-known answer, but also Castlevania, definitely. Yeah. Just because it's so... Um, I, it's not that I necessarily um, think it's the best or anything, but mm. I think it's a really cool idea to take, you know, give Simon one adventure and then put him in different, uh, mm. different situation where he's got a different goal. Right. He's, he's try- It's like, it's just a different t- mm. take on the story, which is really cool and yeah. pretty... Uh, pretty rare. So there were also a couple of Game Boy, uh, Game Boy Castlevania games that came out around this time period, kind of all the same gameplay. After Super Castlevania 4, there's another Super NES uh, Castlevania game, uh, which Cameron already mentioned, uh, Dracula X, uh, which is known in Japan like as Rondo of Blood. Uh, good game, not as good as Castlevania 4, I thought, but still a very fun game. There also was a Castlevania game exclusively made like the Genesis, uh, Castlevania Bloodlines. Uh, which is also like a very a good game. Um, Bloodlines, I think, is tougher than Super Castlevania 4. The graphics are not quite as good, uh, but the game also has a very good soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one I've yet to try out. I mm. keep hearing a lot of good things about it, and that um, there's at least one or two of the um, music's, uh, like, pieces of music that was, um, mm. I guess, written for that game that's become one of the classics. I can't name it off the top of my head. Yes. But yeah. it's been one I keep meaning to, to mm. check out. Yeah. 
So after those games, uh, the next Castlevania game, like the aforementioned and critically loved uh, Castlevania Sympathy of Night, like the PlayStation, and this is where the franchise like takes a real departure. Uh, Castlevania games after this point kind of resplit like two different lines. You could follow the evolution of the Castlevania series after like like after Sympathy of the Night, like two very distinct branches of the games. Uh, because Sympathy of the Night uh, kind of follows a very different gameplay where you kind of go around a castle. Um, trying to find items uh, uh, like to advance. There's a lot of backtracking to do. There's a lot of a, uh, uh, items to find, that kind of stuff. And that kind of game is not kind of known roughly as being like a Metroidvania game. Uh, uh, it wasn't the first one, clearly, but Simply the Knights definitely one of the earlier ones I think people will recognize as being a Metroidvania game. And so after that point, all the handheld Castlevania games follow the same formula. It could be considered uh, Metroidvania games. Like all the Game Boy Advance and DS games that have come from the franchise since then. Where the console Castlevania games have have followed the more traditional action action platformy uh, gameplay, except this time like from a 3D perspective. Where you're like looking behind the character and moving the camera around, that kind of stuff. So two very different types of Castlevania games available now, depending upon your taste, which is very strange. I can't really think of any other franchise that is that's had such a major split like this one has. Yeah, that's a good point. I've never thought about it in those terms. Just that there's it's Castlevania and and it's got a style, but at this point it has several different styles. Hmm. Um, especially now that um, what's the what's the newer one for PS3? What's that series? Uh, I know that game you're talking about. I, I just can't remember the name. Uh, okay, it it did get a sequel, so yeah. I guess. You know, there's a possibility that they could keep going mm. in that direction as well. Although I've heard it's, if you're a fan of the, you know, if you're a fan of classic Castlevania, it's not really for you. I haven't played them myself, but uh, just from looking at gameplay online, I'm not particularly intrigued. It doesn't really. It seems to be very serious. Yes. And to me, Castlevania, um, even with four, which is a little bit darker than the other ones, it's supposed to almost have a like retro horror vibe mm. and I'm definitely not getting that from the newer ones it seems to want to take the whole uh, you know Superman Zack Snyder vibe and, and take itself a little too seriously for its own good so I haven't really checked them out yeah, I really haven't enjoyed the console Castlevania games as much as the as much as the handheld ones. Um, the the very first one, like Lament of Innocence, for like the PlayStation Two, uh, that's a game I really did like. The exact game, the camera was the camera was under control, and that game kind of has like an origin story to it, where like you go back in time. The game focuses upon the whole start of the Belmont family and how the vampire killer, the famous whip, came about and that kind of stuff. Uh, but the later games in the console have gotten very frustrating, I think, with gameplay controls and with the whole series vibe you mentioned. Where the um, the Metroidvania uh, handheld ones kind of follow the Sympathy of the Night uh, gameplay style, but there's classic, classic side-scrolling um, platform action involved in it also. The two games that I hear the most praise about and which I agree about uh, would, would definitely be like Aria of Sorrow. There's two Aria games, one for the GBA, one for the DS. It's one sequel to another. Those are excellent games. Okay. Um, and you know, those are the ones I hear the most praise about. Um, but yeah, a uh, side note, if you are interested in Metrovenia games and you enjoy that kind of gameplay style, there recently have been two podcasts that come out 
that talk a lot about Metrovania games. Uh, one of them was the last episode of Retro Obscura uh, that dropped. Uh, Aaron and Paul talk about Metrovania games and the revolutions and some of the personal favorites and whatnot. And there's also a brand new podcast out there called Like on Metrovania. One of the co-hosts is Michael Kelso from the Two Dudes in a Yes podcast. Uh, that's how podcast just dedicated to Metrovania games. So if you enjoy that style of game, I highly recommend you checking out like, both those podcasts. I, I will say that um, as far as Symphony of the Night goes, that I remember playing it and thinking to myself, because I got into this, I, I played it like last year. Like mm-hmm. I was definitely a late, you know, <laughs> got into that super late. But I just remember always hearing it was great, it was great. And it took me so long to get to it, but when I finally did, I was like, finally, mm-hmm. this feels like a logical extension of mm. 4. You know, yes. that's still being my favorite one. Yeah. So, so it was kind of like the progression from three to four mm-hmm. in my mind was the same as a progression from four to uh, yeah. symphony of the night i know yeah. it didn't go in that order exactly but just just how they were expanding on the ideas and and bringing in new things and bringing in new, in new elements in ways that were that made sense they right. weren't awkward and they were innovative and and just fun to play you know yeah so there's one more Castlevania game that I want to talk about real quick here, and it's a nice segue like our next topic. Um, Super Castlevania 4 is kind of a reimagining of the original game in some ways, like in the sense that it takes place in 1691 in Transylvania, and you're controlling Simon Belmont again, uh, like you were in the first and second game. Because in the third game, um, it takes place 100 years in the past, and you're actually controlling like Trevor Belmont. But Super Castlevania 4, like you're playing Simon again. So, mm-hmm. so Super Castlevania 4 is kind of reimagining uh, the original game in some ways, and this wasn't the first time that Konami did this, um, because there was another game that came out later on. There was a Castlevania game that came out a couple years later in Japan, uh, like for the Sharp Computer, uh, which we eventually got over here in the States on the PlayStation, was renamed Castlevania Chronicles. Um, and that game, and that game is two different play styles. You can either play the original game, just ports right over, like from the Sharp Computer, or you can play an enhanced version of the game with like uh, with enhanced graphics, uh, better music, that kind of stuff. If you enjoy classic, uh, classic platform NES style Castlevania games, Castlevania Chronicles is highly worth checking out. Also, it's a great game. It's hard to find these days because Konami only did a small print run of it. I think only about 100,000 copies of the game got made, so uh, it's a little harder to find. But Castlevania Chronicles is also an excellent uh, old-school uh, Castlevania game. It's like some excellent music to it. Uh, like it's a very like fun, challenging gameplay. That was one thing I did not realize about this game until a few years ago, when I think I was bored at work. And this is this is what I did when I got bored at work. I'd get on the internet and look up Wikipedia pages of you know video games that I liked. And I didn't realize that this was. I mean, it makes sense, and I should have known, but. That it was supposed to, that Super Castlevania 4 was a remake, you know, in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, because yeah. it was, and then I read after that that it was originally presented as a sequel. I mean, it is called Castlevania 4. Right. In the U.S., and the, the story, you know, in the instruction book or whatever reflected that, but that's not the way it was designed. It was, it was designed as a remake. So it's kind of interesting that we've got, you know, at least. At least two remakes of the original Castlevania, that being the one you just mentioned, the Chronicles. Yes. But then, but then also this one. So it's Simon uh, Simon Belmont has been in his fair share of games. I think, at this point. <laughs> yeah, I did a look online real quick, and all through the years, if you count various ports uh, 
ports and sequels and whatnot. There's, there's something like 45 Castlevania games made uh, across all platforms and systems. So um, there was even like an arcade game uh, that was kind of like a reimagining of the first game. So um, this game definitely been around like for a while. It's very very popular. So uh, like for good reason. Uh, there's some really like you know fun games. Um, Super Castlevania 4, Castlevania Chronicles, Simply the Night, and Castlevania 3 are always my favorites of the series as far as the games go. So Super Castlevania 4 was an early launch game like for the Super NES. It came out in Japan in, in October of 91. North America got the game two months later in December, and Europe got it in November of 92. Uh, like I said earlier, a very popular game. Um, I found various sites online that claim that altogether the game sold over half a million copies on um, Super NES uh, back when it was a uh, back when it was out, which is not a huge amount of games today, but for back then in the 90s, uh, like for the average amount of games to be sold, that was a very impressive haul. Uh, mm. Despite not that many copies, the games. I want to say that on either it was my friend's Super NES box when he got one, or on mine, there was like a little screenshot. You, I, I don't know if you remember back in the day, like, or of course you would, but like <laughs> on the the back at the console things, they would have like you know a little. Here's what Super Mario looks like. Here's mm. what this looks like. Probably Super Metroid or something. And here's Super Castlevania. And I just remember that being on there, and that being touted as one of their, uh, their their, I guess one of the titles they were the proudest of. Yes. You know, this yep. is what the Super Nintendo can do. Yes. And that's what's so. That's another thing that's so special about the game to me is that it really feels like when they were developing it, they were like, okay, we've got a new system, let's blow it out and do absolutely everything the system can do because there's there's just a... And I know we'll get to all this stuff, yeah. but there's just so much to it that that puts it not only heads and shoulders above the NES versions, in my opinion, but also a lot of games to come out you know, much mm -hmm. later on the Super Nintendo. Like yeah. They really put their work into it. Yeah, there were interviews uh, that I've read online, like some of the designers said, you know, designers, creators, you know, creators of the game, and you're right. Uh, they really wanted to uh, showcase the system. Uh, they really wanted to take Castlevania, Castlevania and give it a 16-bit treatment, it's much the same way that Konami had just done with Contra, like Super Contra 3. I just give it that you know spectacular 16-bit over-the-top treatment, uh, like one of their flagship franchises, and you really can tell like all the love and attention, detail, the detail that went like in this game. Um, the game was created simultaneously like both the Japanese and North American versions. Um, they're almost the same. We'll talk about that later on here in like a little bit, but but the game was designed specifically to, to appeal to North American gamers as well as Japanese gamers, and really just kind of take that like, take the Castlevania franchise and like really kick it up a notch. Uh, really show what the system could do as far as the as far as the gameplay and graphics and music and everything. Yeah, when when I was listening, and by the way, listeners, you should do this too if you haven't already. The Contra episode you guys did, I was thinking that I was just I was like, there really are a lot of similarities between Contra and uh, and Castlevania. I mean, they're both franchises that have, you know, will stick in any any anybody from our generation or older mm -hmm. probably. Yeah. Um, they're definitely going to know those titles and recognize them. And, and it was just those very first versions that were on the Super Nintendo. They just, yeah. man, the Mode 7 is, is out of yes. control. And also, <laughs> the music and sound, like, yes. they're just so over the top, but in the best way. Mm. Like, not, not in an excessive way that makes you go like, oh, what were they doing? <laughs> in a way that you're like, 
wow, this is actually really cool. You know? mm. There's a reason that both Contra and Castlevania franchises are still around, still going strong today. Uh, yeah. Except because of games like this that have that have given the game such a love in people's hearts and minds, as far as like the great games and the and the great gameplay that have been built that that have been built up to build up upon like for the years so uh, another interesting point about both those games is that they're like bizarre reflections of american culture in a way because obviously contra is this you know almost a take on schwarzenegger stallone you know big muscly guys firing you know machine guns right movies and then castlevania um, has its roots in like universal monster movies, right. so it's like it's like this uh, Japanese interpretation of American culture, and it's like back and forth and back and forth. It's it's kind of interesting when you think about it that way. I've never I never thought about it, but it's true. Well, one of the best games uh, talking about that phenomenon that you see this in is like it's a Super NES RPG, uh, Earthbound. Uh, I'm not yeah. sure. But uh, uh, the whole game just screams how Japan flexes like the U.S. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're right. I, I I hadn't necessarily thought about it, but yeah, it's definitely like you know Western culture, but through the perspective through a Eastern lens. You know, this yes. is this is kind of how we see America, and it mm-hmm. kind of it's it's simultaneously spoof and appreciation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or at least that's the way I like to look at right. it. I hope it's not complete spoof. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh. So let's get into the main gameplay discussion. So we already have talked about it a little bit, but for those of you out there who are not really familiar with the Castlevania games or are not really familiar with the older style Castlevania games, uh, this is a side-scrolling platform game where you control Simon Belmont, and your basic objective is just to go through the game stage by stage um, and just basically defeat enemies, collect power-ups, uh, get points. Uh, there's a boss play every stage, and you see a map detailed your progress as you go through the game. There are a total of 11 levels all together, like in the game, so it's long, uh, but it's not quite as long as like the Castlevania 3, because Castlevania 3 had that uh, branching path option that you could take. So because that, that game had more stages like overall. But, but like we said, this is really just a reimagining the original Castlevania game, so that's why this one is linear um, as, as you go through the game from point A to point B. Simon has his uh, whip, uh, the vampire killer, like in the earlier games. Uh, there's a lot of this game that carries over and is immediately recognizable from earlier Castlevania games. So you show up Simon, you show up the whip, you play Still click hearts uh, to be able to use your special weapons that you can pick up pick up as you go through the game. Your story health bar, show timer. There's still meat in the walls. Yep. <laughs> you can still get like, you know, double double and triple shots to use for secondary weapons. You can still collect two power-ups to your whip itself. One of them makes the whip longer, so one of them makes it stronger. There's still bosses to face flavor every stage. Um, Super Castlevania 4 has a password feature, uh, much like Castlevania 3 does. Very nice touch in the password password screen, by the way. I've always loved how when you enter your name and start of the game, like when you go back later on to play anybody your password, you actually carve your name like in stone on a tablet, uh, like on a screen. Excellent touch. Uh, yeah, and I've, I've always loved like the just the. I mean, we can talk a lot about ambiance in terms of this game, but just when you're entering your password and just the you know the organ music playing, the kind of church background, the uh, the the sound it the mm, 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 sound it makes when you move stuff around and like put the little the, when you yes. put the little things in there it's just such a cool little it's almost like uh, you know Simon died he was resurrected brought back to the church and now the you know the church <laughs> the people are gonna help him get back in the battle or whatever it's some kind of some kind of like mystical mm. you know 
stuff, but uh, it's it's just a really cool little little detail that there's so much of in this game. Yes, definitely, absolutely. So the primary weapon that Simon has, like, is his whip. Um, but one thing I've noticed, like, right away, like, one of the many things I love about this game, this, this is probably the first thing I remember as a kid playing this. Um, this is one of the first things that I really like, oh my god, awesome, I can actually do this. this compared to past Castlevania games, so you have the ability not only to whip normally, but you can also whip, like, in eight directions. Um, you have the ability to whip straight up, straight down, I'll whip like diagonally, like whip by jumping. You can also do some other cool tricks like the whip also. Uh, for example, after using whip, you can just have the whip just kind of like you know, hang out there in front of you loose. Kind of dangle down like in front of you. And it, it doesn't do very much damage, but it does do enough damage that you can use this trick to defeat an enemy that's below you like for example. That was one aspect that it took me an embarrassing long, embarrassingly long time to figure out. Like I didn't have an instruction book with the game or anything. Ah, okay, yeah. So eventually at one point I just, I just you know maybe out of frustration or just goofing around i don't remember but you know you whip out and you start messing with the d-pad and all of a sudden your whip's like flying all over the place it looks really goofy but then you can actually find some pretty useful things for it you know if you've got projectiles coming at you or bats or anything like that it's it's kind of a weird little feature that's not super useful but it's just kind of a it's just fun you know Mm. and and obviously there wasn't even a hint of that kind of control in the whip in in the other games or you know since really but uh that's that's what made it really cool yes absolutely i mean like you know just the whole freedom to be able to whip in all these directions i mean like it makes the nes has many games seem so limiting as far as your gameplay like your attack ability that's has... that's the root of me not being able to get into the nes games I, it's like i know they're great I, I know you know tons of people love them but just the fact that I, you know, Castlevania 4 is like my definitive Castlevania experience, it's hard for me to do anything else and not not get angry, basically, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and something else you can do later on, like in the game, the whip. So there's also a, um, a hooks that you can also, that you can also whip and hold on to, to kind of whip yourself across a pit or an area, uh, Pitfall Henry style. And later on in the game, that becomes a critical gameplay mechanic. You not only use the whip to whip across uh, areas uh, to reach areas that you normally can't jump to, but also hold on to the object to be able to like, avoid enemies or whatnot. And you have the ability to be able to go up and down on your whip also uh, to better control your jumps. Um, you don't have a lot of a um, give on the whip if you're like all the way at the top, then you do very small jumps. Um, uh, sorry, uh, swings of like your jump. But if you have the whip all the way down, then the assignment can really get some momentum going back and forth. Can they be able to be able to jump a long distance? Yeah, that that trying to get the momentum right is one of those things that was like kind of tricky, but rewarding and fun. Hmm. Like when you pulled it off, you were like, "Yes, that was so fast!" <laughs> like it was just so much fun to go back and kind of you know loosen it up and go up and down with it. And then of course there's, I mean we you may be saving this for later, but the revolving room, no, where but... you have to hook up while the room is moving. Like it's just just such an incredible gameplay. At, you know, mechanic or whatever. Yes. So, if you have to whip, you also pick up secondary weapons like, as you go along. So, there are kiddos in the game uh, to whip, just like past Castlevania games, uh, to be able to get your power-ups. Uh, some of them contain hearts, uh, which you need to be able to power your secondary weapons. Some of them contain uh, uh, money bags for flavor points. Some of them contain meat to recharge your health. Another candles contain secondary weapons. These secondary weapons are very powerful weapons that you could do weapons that are very useful, like in many situations. You have available to you the boomerang, which is a slow but powerful weapon that's great for boss fighting. It often can hit a foe uh, two or three times. 
you have the axe, which you throw out there like a wide, high loop that you can use to, to defeat enemies that are above you. You have the holy water, which is like a bomb that you can just like throw like right in front of you to cause a fire to spread out on the floor ahead of you like a small distance. Again, very useful against certain bosses. You have the clock. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the watch, which is a very handy item that allows you to be able to freeze everything on screen for like five seconds. Yes, uh, very, very useful um, when you're doing probably the most frustrating aspect of the game, which is anything involving Medusa heads. <laughs> Uh, the fifth weapon is the dagger. Uh, the dagger is weak, but it's a very like fast-firing uh, weapon. Uh, all, like, all these weapons are very great for certain situations. The fact that they can often get to arcs and areas that you whip can't to take out enemies is very handy. And, and certain bosses are much easier fights if you have the right weapon to use against them. That's The sub-weapons thing is something that's consistent with my other Castlevania experiences in that if I get the dagger, I'm just angry. Especially if I had something good. Like, mm. if, if I had the axe or the boomerang and I got the dagger, I was like, no! Because the dagger's basically useless. You can you can kill a bat with one shot, I think, with it, but everything else takes, like, three or four shots, it seemed like. There are certain enemies on uh, bosses the dagger stays okay on because of the rapid-fire ability. The uh, mummies and the Medusa bosses, for example, are pretty okay to use, um, like, the dagger. It sounds like the watch is our favorite sub-weapon like, for both of us. I think all around, though, and this goes for across the board for Castlevania. I, I love the axe just because it's mm. it's versatile because you can get it over stuff. You know, to me, that's... Because uh, you don't have to be on the same level mm. as something and therefore vulnerable. So yeah. you can be below or above and, and take something out. And when you take out uh, Medusa... Again, those stupid Medusas. When you take those out with an axe, that just feels amazing. <laughs> yes, well, the Medusa heads are not quite as aggravating and hair ripping out in this game as they are in the past Castlevania games, at least. So. Yeah, 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 there, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, the boomerang's probably, the boomerang's also a favorite weapon of mine. Um, it's slow, yes, but it's the fact that it comes and goes. It's like a great for boss fights. Uh, to, to, to be the fact you can often whack an enemy uh, two, three, four times with it. Yeah, definitely. I remember it definitely being, I mean, indispensable in the uh, Dracula fight. Yeah, the booming's always a critical weapon to have against Dracula. It doesn't matter what game it is. Castlevania 1, Castlevania 3, Super Castlevania yeah. 4. Gotta have the boomerang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and, um, the the axe-throwing guys, it's it's almost like a taste of your own medicine. when mm. you Because you can hit them twice and then whip them one time. And yes. So. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of familiar enemies like this game. Uh, who carried over like in the past NES Castlevania games. We've already talked about the Medusa heads, the skeletons and zombies, like a back, of course. Uh, yeah. uh, the bats are back also. Um, you also have the uh, the stone dragon heads, uh, which are those they have stone heads that have heads facing both directions, things spit fireballs at you. Many of the bosses are, are the same. You definitely recognize uh, Medusa, uh, the mummies, uh, uh, Frankenstein and Igor, uh, Death, like, like it's also in this game also. So, a lot of familiar enemies, a lot of familiar things. Konami really did a great did a great job at, at with this game, and she's trying to both make uh, veterans veterans and familiar players of the NES Castlevania games feel right at home, like at ease here, and also introduce new stuff, uh, like in the mix, to keep them like engaged, like and happy with the game. Yeah, I, I think, um, and this is a quick note on one of the older enemies, the zombies. One of my favorite little design details is when you kill a zombie, uh, they they make that kind of echoey groan, like the whir, 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 and then a little like 
kind of fire spirit flies out of them. Right. Like, like you know, the possession or whatever. To me, that's just such a cool little, just a cool little detail, you know. Hmm. And Konami's always put their best foot forward, I think, like their games, you know, especially during the 8-bit and 16-bit era, when I think Konami was like the peak of their powers, as far as, as, far as making games. Uh, right away in stage one, you see numerous things like in this stage that are really just second to the game that show you not only this is like a new Castlevania game, but also showcases stuff like the Super NES all I can do. Uh, because, because one of the things you can do right away like this game, and I don't know how obvious this would be to somebody who not played Mario World previously. Um, this is exactly what I was going yes, to say. But keep because, going. Yeah, because I recognize right away what's going on because the fact I already had played and beat Super Mario World before I got this game. But um, I think it's pretty recognizable for somebody who hadn't because you start going through the stage, so you notice candles behind a fence. And you're going like, huh, that's weird. Those candles are behind the fence. You know, I can't get at them. So, and then you realize later on that there's a gate. You get to the gate, you actually come out behind the fence. So, like, you're playing both forward and behind uh, uh, the stage. You're much the same way that you could Super Mario World, you like the ghost house so uh really being able to do that i think was an awesome touch you really kind of showcased uh the extra process of power and graphical ability the super nes i like to do with this game yeah and talking about the graphical ability and and the fact that there were you know different it wasn't strictly 2d you know you had it was like 2.1 d because you know you could go that extra layer backwards behind the gate but also graphically just all the layers of of stuff I think it's really noticeable once you're in the, the like once you've gone into the drawbridge and parts of the walls are missing yeah. inside the like in inside the courtyard or whatever that is. You can see like the moon in the background and the sky and the clouds and then you can see, you know, the immediate background the wall and it's mm-hmm. all just so layered and it, you know, it, obviously it's a 2D platformer but it feels mo- way more three-dimensional than right. any NES game could ever, you know. Right, yes, definitely. And something else I noticed right away, uh, the first time I was playing this game, like in stage one, uh, and this is a great point that you already uh, uh, touched upon earlier, uh, you are not as rigid with Simon as you were like the NES games. Like for example, the staircases. Like in the past cast of any games, when you win your staircase, that's it. The only thing you can do on a staircase is just like walk up or down. Uh, yeah. Not in this and game. Pl- and just don't get hit, for the yeah. love of God, don't yeah. get hit. <laughs> yes. Not in this game, though. You actually have the ability to whip uh, to whip on the staircase, uh, like in this game. Simon moves faster up and down the staircase also, uh, like also in this game, compared to like past games. So, mm-hmm. right away, I'm like, thank God, I'm not like stuck to that stupid, rigid, can't do anything on the staircases thing, because there's a lot of climbing up and down on uh, the stages like, as you go through this game. And... Of course, you can moonwalk up the stairs. Yes, they touch. <laughs> Probably unintentional, but also amazing. Like, it's just, just one more thing to make you feel awesome, this sign in Belmont. Right. So the difficulty of the game is very fair, I thought, as you went through the game. Uh, past Castlevania games did this also pretty well, I thought, also, but this game is not as difficult uh, in gameplay as far as like the major, intense, spiking difficulty uh, as you go through the game that past Castlevania games had. Yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely not as, you know, just classic eight bit hardcore. Um, you don't you don't feel like a failure. It, I think it's again, it's just that good level of difficulty where if you try and try and try and try again, you can feel yourself like getting it, mm-hmm. and then if you end up beating it. Whereas at least with my skill or whatever, um, I definitely hit a wall when it comes to Castlevania and a lot of other older games, just because there's there's not that leeway for mistakes and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Right. 
Right, and the stage design as you go through the game, I really love the stages like in the game. Like no stage like looks the same. Like the whole design, graphic with graphic touches, like it's just awesome as you go through the game. Um, you have like for example like a library stage. There's like a water stage trying to like, climb up a waterfall. Um, there is a treasure room stage. Yeah. Um, they have, that one's awesome. It's yeah, like everywhere yeah. again, just small small detail. Yeah. Everywhere you step, you hear that little ping yeah. noise and, and like. You can see little bits of gold flying around. Yep, definitely. And then I, I think the most notable, noticeable, like, just everything is is such a mood mm. is the uh, cavern. Yes. Because like yep. it's it's just so different from everything yep. else. The the music fits it perfectly, which I'm assuming we're going to talk a little bit about music because I could go on about yes. that for a while. Yep. yep. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's just like every level has just such a defined vibe. Yeah. You know. Yep. And you also have like familiar levels also like in past games. It's like you have your drawbridge stage, your entrance stage, and you also have your clock tower stage. Yep, and you also have like the very last scene of the game. So just like with the past kind of many games, you have that long stairwell, a stairwell that you're climbing up uh, outside, like the moon shining above you in the background. So you're your final confrontation like with Dracula. Um, again, you're, you're again carried over like the past games. Great touch. So, yeah. uh, really imaginative, really great stage design like this game, I thought. No stage looks the same, no stage was boring. It was always like, you know, small things defined, uh, that kind of stuff. Just like, you know, like you said, the small touches that apply in the game, um, you were really great. Yeah, one really notable, noticeable example of, of like stage, you know, graphical design being integrated with stage design and mechanics, all that and all that is the spiked wheel that comes up after you like towards the there's a level towards the end where you know you have a very definite time limit and that's <laughs> keeping away from that yeah. dog collar looking thing that's trying to kill you yes <laughs> um it's never explained how this thing is moving or what it is or anything but you, it kills you You're right <laughs> and uh, that's one that like every time i pick the game up i forget that it takes there's something to getting on you know the stairs fall off underneath you as you walk so there's no room for error. There's literally no room for error. And um, it, every time I play it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I have to get used to, you know, hitting diagonally and over to make sure that I'm moving as soon as the stairs start falling. Because mm. if you don't, you're it's over and you got to start the start the part over again. It's it's not mm. easy. There's also a number of stages. This, there's also a number of stages that have like, well, I guess you call them like like unstable uh, sections. Uh, yes. Where you can see again graphical touches. You can see these unstable ones are a little bit different than the normal ones because the color shading is a little bit different. Like if like you're paying attention, you can be like, okay, you know, this is this is when I can't be on be on very long, like you know, before it collapses. And there's another stage where I think Konami. Was a little bit jealous of Capcom and kind of you know kind of borrowed a page for, for like Mega Man franchise. That's like this is exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah, uh, like these blocks uh, kind of like come like in and out of the wall, and you make your jumps like very carefully, going from like block to block uh, to make sure you yeah. don't fall off and go to your death. So yeah, the whole uh, jump and hope thing. You know, they, I, I, I'm I'm assuming they were proud of themselves for that design, but as soon as when I saw it, I was like, oh no, <laughs> just, just flashbacks of Mega Man and remember all that junk. Plus, you got projectiles and enemies coming at mm. you. It's just like, oh my gosh. You know, I, I, I love them, but I hate them. Yeah, but overall, I really didn't think this game had too many cheap deaths. I thought maybe that, yeah. you know, like compared to past games, most of the times I died, I was like, you know, okay, you know, this is their death. I screwed up. You know, I know what to do next time, like to avoid this. 
like that kind of stuff. I, I mean, like it's frustrating in some areas, but at the point where we feel like that the game's just trying to just to like you know like um, shit, it's like you know screw you over. Uh, it really rewards patience and good gameplay, like it's hard work. That's that's exactly right. And again, that's just how it rides the the line of difficulty so perfectly in that it's it's not maddeningly hard. It's mm. just kind of hard. And I, I think a great example is the dungeon. Um, I just I just remember so many times just getting beat to death, you mm. know, like not not even dying from a spike or a pit or whatever, but just slowly my health bar just slowly mm. going down, which is you know, torture to watch. Right. But um, it's there's just a lot going on in those levels. You can get hit by anything and everything, and those stupid eyeballs that drip, uh, you know, like blood on you and stuff are super annoying. And mm. uh, and it, again, in a good way. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, but not to the point where you want to just throw the controller or whatever. Right. Yeah. Also, I you know I was really impressed. Uh, I still am, like this day actually, just how good this game looks. Like being like a pretty early Super NES game. The graphics yeah. are gorgeous. Um, it's like the sprites are large, colorful, detailed. Uh, the small touches present like all of the game. Uh, the very backgrounds. Uh, just the schemes used. The game, you know, the game graphically looks amazing. It's a really yeah. shining example of a 16-bit, 16-bit game, and it really shows off how much better that the color palette is compared to the Genesis. Um, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Uh, one thing they did keep consistent is that uh, Simon d- just doesn't have a face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I realize that you know that's, that's such a dumb thing to point out, but it's just funny because you know all the NES ones, he just has like a little blank. You know, fate, almost like Cobra Commander or something. <laughs> but, um, right. yeah, yeah, no face for Simon this time around either. Mm. He's got some toned legs, though. Yes. There's so many early games of Super NES that really just kind of showed off that powerful processor. And just the whole graphics, the, gra- the graphics and the bright, vivid colors that the game's capable of doing. Uh, Contra 3, Act Riser, Super, Super Mario World, the, um, you know, Final Fantasy uh, for 4. F- F-Zero, I think, is a great example. F-Zero, Power Wings. So many games that came out the first year of the system's life. It's really just the, the graphical porn, basically, um, as far as yeah. the games yeah. go. Just like, it, you know, it's amazing. And uh, and mode seven is used very well in the game. Also, uh, you already mentioned mentioned this scene briefly, but uh, there's two mode seven sequences in this game that really stand out. Uh, one is the one you mentioned earlier. I think this happens in like stage four, where you climb up a staircase, they go into a room, and you have to a um, whip onto a hook, and the whole screen rotates uh, rotates on you by nine degrees. So yeah. um, it's just really mind blowing the first time I saw that, like as a kid. But again, this is this is above and beyond anything you ever saw, like as far as like an NES game went. The, it's definitely the most touted, you know, level design aspect of that game, probably. But yeah. it's so deserved. Like it's such a cool idea. At that point, you know, 1991. Did you say yeah. it was like? Yeah. It, it's just unlike anything, you know, I'd seen up to that point, or you know, even as a teenager playing it, you're just like, man, it's such a cool idea. Yep, and you also have to like hold on to that hook, also like that room because the room spins around. Um, mm-hmm. It's like you're not holding on to that hook, I like will kill you. And you're holding on to the hook, yeah. and there's a spike pit below you, and you're like, okay, now what do I do? So you have to like wait for a little while, and then finally, I hear a noise, and there's like this a um, uh, this series of steps of, st- of stone blocks, like finally like appears below you. 
the image you're gonna get onto. So the whole thing is like very intense, I'm, and very well done as far as like level design goes. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely guilty of not waiting quite long enough <laughs> taking the jump. I'm yeah. sure I'm not the only one that's done that and and you know taking a fall on the spikes and I'm like, what what was I supposed to do? You know, you <laughs> yes, and there's another scene later on also uh, shows up the graphics like very well. Uh, like in this scene, like you're going through your typical normal uh, side-scrolling area where there's like a series of a uh, of stone blocks below you um, and you're making your way from left to right whipping Medusa heads and whatnot. But in the background, there's this really psychedelic rotating cylinder background, which is like a wall. And it's so frustrating. It's so hard to it's so hard to focus upon what you're doing and like, not look at that distracting image. Yeah. So you really have to train your eye on that one. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely one of the show-off-y, here's what we can do moments of of that is just in, in a gameplay sense it doesn't necessarily have an effect on what you're doing but just the experience together as you said it makes it disorienting <laughs> and and it i'm I, I would be very curious to see like that room from simon's perspective <laughs> like did it look like just some crazy wormhole i mean i can't even imagine like it's just so nuts and such a weird again just a weird idea it's 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 in the same vein as the revolving room, hmm. but different at the same time, just because it's more of a uh, graphical element than anything. Right, exactly. Yeah, just just really memorable and really cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. The graphical effect is very like it's very effective also because without that effect going on, there's just like a your normal typical typical straightforward move from left to right, uh, hop up or down, uh, destroy Medusa heads thing. But with that yeah. background going on, it's so distracting. You really have to focus upon game plan, what you're doing. Just taking it little by little to make sure you don't make a stupid mistake. Yeah, and if I remember right, there's like little moving... I mean, even though the, the room itself is moving, there's little moving elements in that. And sometimes skeletons, like, pop out of that. And you got to take care of them before you can jump onto the next ledge and that kind of stuff. So there's even, there's even a few things that are kind of integrated into the mm. revolving room itself. Right. So, if the gameplay wasn't already good enough, the graphics of this game like, are not already good enough, uh, we have the third, you know, third part, like this, like, awesome, like, trifecta, the music. The soundtrack is awesome. The Castlevania games have always had great music. Uh, I really can't think of a game that had, like, bad music as far as the game in the series went. But Super Castlevania 4 really takes full advantage, like, about that rich, full orchestral soundtrack of Super NES, like you do. Uh, right from the yeah. start, uh, Stage 1, uh, that music, the music used in Stage 1 has become one of the most beloved and most uh, and most famous pieces of the Castlevania series. Uh, it's called the theme of Simon. Uh, it's still yeah. used like, still used today, like, in many... F- even in Castlevania games. And then even even before the theme comes in, you've got like almost again, it's just you know, Metroid is one of the few other games that was this early, you know, in video game history, I guess you could say, but has still had a sense of of like ambience to mm. it. So it's like you're walking you know, in the area before you get to the drawbridge and it's just like kind of I don't know what you'd call it, just like little string swells or whatever. Right. And it's not really like a, a solid piece of music. Mm-hmm. But then the the gates come up out of the ground, which is awesome in itself. And then you hear that, like the opening organ bit. Yes. It's yeah. like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and the theme itself, I, I, I mean, it's just so... It's just so good. It's yes. hard to even put it into words, like how it makes you feel. Mm. Again, it goes into like at, you're playing a Simon Belmont and you feel just awesome. That theme plays into that. It makes it makes the it gives the game a feel, 
And I should say that when it comes, this is skipping ahead, but when it comes back in, when you're battling Dracula, you know, like the second half of the fight, yes. to me, there's almost no way you can get that far and then lose because that theme, like, carries you. You're like, my, this is my theme, Dracula. <laughs> I don't know if you hear it, but, you know, you're, you're done for. Yes. And it's just, it just makes you feel so good. It's, yeah. Again, I can't say enough about it. Yeah. Yes, and the music also, like, it's very, like, you know, well designed. It fits each stage perfectly. Like, you know, these game designers really put a lot of effort in trying to make sure that the music, the music fit it to fit each stage perfectly. You know, just the whole like, you know, environment and ambiance and play and everything else as far as that goes. So it's very medieval sounding. It's very orchestral sounding. Just the uh, the violins and the, the violins and the piano and the piano and just like the drum beats and everything else. Just just really great. Just really great full sounding. I love I love the the just constant. I mean, not constant, but very regular use of that organ because yes the organ is such a cool thing because it's simultaneously you know like the holy instrument it's in you know all your old churches and stuff but then at the same time like dracula is associated with like a right so it's like it's like it's it's got a double uh identity almost the the you know pipe organ so it's such a cool idea I mean, I, I guess it's obvious, but it's also just a cool idea to use it in a game like this, but mm. also just so regularly and in so many different ways, so many different purposes, so many different feelings that come out of it, you know, like foreboding or, you know, if it comes to the theme of Simon, it's like a, it's like a heroic triumphant feel. And then other times it's like creepy and it, it, it's, mm. again, I, I could gush about this for a while, but right. yeah, I, I, I love it. And one other thing I really loved, like in this game, um, Castlevania Three did this like a little bit. So as far as the music went, uh, like I also love how you hear uh, toward the end of the game, uh, just like remixes, like some of the older best musical pieces, like the NES games, because they, um, yeah, because uh, you hear you hear you hear three out of four of the classic Castlevania musical pieces, like the final stage, like of the game. Um, the clock tower is such an awesome stage, yes. like in and of itself. Every Castlevania game is a clock tower. And you're climbing this clock tower, trying to whip, you know, trying to whip Medusa head and skeletons, and this awesome remix of Blade Tears playing it. Uh, like in the background, you're going up, it. it's so awesome. There's there's a lot of cases where the remixes, it, to my ear, just aren't as good as the original. But these, I really appreciate. I still like the NES versions a little bit better as far as like just the original versions. But um, I really like the clock tower remix because it's it has like a different feel to it. I really mm. like that like retard towards the end where it kind of uh like the boop, boop, bap, boop, 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 bap, yeah like yes, and then yes, it starts yeah. back over it's just it's a cool feel for the level because you know with the clock tower yet you've got you've got a piece of music that you know tempo wise is kind of moving around and, mm. and making you feel weird um it's it's again it it just it goes to what you said and that it's kind it's really on point yeah, um, just how this this music is not only so good on its own, but so good for what you're doing. Yes, definitely. Uh, Bloody Tears is one of my all-time favorite uh, musical pieces, uh, much less my yeah. favorite Castlevania piece. And this is probably my second favorite version of Bloody Tears, uh, like all together. Period that they used like in the games. The only other version of Bloody Tears that I like a bit more, like is the one they used for, like is the enhanced version that they used for Castlevania Chronicles. I know that's also like a great, a great sounding version of it. And then after Clock Tower, you're also treated to remixes of the theme of beginning 
from Castlevania 3, like an awesome vampire killer uh, playing the original yeah. game. The only classic piece I don't remember hearing the hearing this game like is Wicker Child. Uh, like in the original yeah. game. I don't believe yeah. that's in here, but the other three are in here, which is great to listen to, so. I think as far as some of the other pieces that really stand out, and again, these are gonna be on any, anybody else who would talk about this, would talk about the same things, I think. The the waterfall level um, with just the weird jazziness to it. Yes. I just remember when I, you know, when again, I picked this up, you know, for real when I was a teenager, and I just remember listening to that and being like, this is unlike anything I've ever heard in a video game. It's just so different. Yes. You know, and and so cool. And it almost ha- it goes into like a bit that kind of feels improvised, and and you know, genuinely jazzy. Which again is, <laughs> mm. it's just so unique in at least in terms of video games. Uh, so the last major thing we haven't talked about yet, I think, is probably the boss design. Um, mm-hmm. I really love the bosses, like, in this game. You know, Konami did a great job of both, like, introducing older bosses, like, from the games, and, like, and also putting in new bosses. Uh, so what are some of your favorite bosses, like, from the game? I think even though, you know, he he scarred me as a child, the the spear guy. And again, I know I know these guys have names, but I can't remember them off the top of my head. Konami always had, like, weird, weird Japanese names. Well, actually, I, I actually, I'm sorry. They either had weird Japanese names or like these really stupid sounding tongue in cheek names that they had, like for all the enemies and bosses. Yeah. Uh, you know, like for example, the boss of one of the stages, uh, like these like two ghosts uh, with, with like swords that dance around the screen. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, Konami calls them uh, like Fred of Scare and Paula. Abghul. Abghul. So, so. Yeah, I read, I read that the other day. I've forgotten about that. So let me take back my answer. That the boss I mentioned was cool. I love the design. It kind of reminds me of the uh, the mask in Beetlejuice. Yes. Like when they when they stretch their faces out, it kind of looks like that. Right. But I take it back because I think, in terms of everything, design, you know, difficulty level, all that, it's the dancers. Yes. That's such a cool, just such a cool idea. It's genuinely uh, difficult. It's hard to kind of get their pattern down, and and work with those, you know, those platforms you have and everything. But just the fact that they've got swords and they're dancing around and it's hurting you, to me, that's just a really cool idea. That's it's that's one of my favorite uh, levels in general. Just walking in, I fr- I think it's called ballroom or something. Yes. But you know, you you've got that little organ motif. That's very uh, baroque sounding and very like classy sounding, I guess. And you're you have to like you know some of some of the enemies in that area, the the ectoplasms, which are really cool, and the butlers, just these guys that like appear out of nowhere and and like come at you, and you got to whip them really quick. Um, and then you've got the smaller dancers later on and the moving the like phantom tables and stuff. Mm. But then that that uh, boss to top everything off to me it's just such a, a a cool like all the all the enemies make sense with each other it's like a theme for the level and we've got these particular types of enemies in this level and uh it was it's just it's just excellent yeah so i also like really enjoyed the boss rush like toward the end like i think all three of those bosses like were very well designed uh yeah of course death 
which is also known as the Grim Reaper, like still a wicked hard boss. Uh, always has been, like yeah. always will be. So, um, I really liked the uh, the stone the stone giant guy. That really fun, unique boss design. You come in at first, and he's massive. It's like one part of your body that you can whip a toe. So it's like you know, mm-hmm. you feel like oh oh god, there's no way I should beat this guy. But as you whip him, he slowly gets smaller and smaller and smaller and breaks into breaks into parts and whatnot. So um, also very difficult. Uh, the twin dragons uh, like in the waterfall stage. It's a very difficult fight. Uh, just trying to hop around platform to platform and trying to like whip those heads. So yes, yeah, I, that was that's probably in my top. If, if I'm going to make a top five <laughs> boss list of this game. Ridiculous idea, but that that's probably up there because that's such a, again just a cool design. It's challenging, but in a way that's satisfying rather than frustrating. Yes, and Dracula himself in this game is still tough. Like he's not a pushover, but I think this version of Dracula is easier to beat than he is like Castlevania One and Castlevania Three. Um, mm-hmm. It's still a very tough fight. You, you, he still has like you know two parts was. Um, but, you know, as like you already mentioned earlier, the battle of him still was like two phases. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, and the music changes in the second half. The second half's easier, I think, as opposed to the first half. Because the first half really depends upon timing. You know, trying to stay on the move. You're trying to be alert all the time so you can, like, so you can whip or jump over his fireballs and still be able to get in your, a few licks, like a whip or boomerang as he does that. But yeah. um, the second stage is like more of a straight-up, straight-up throwdown. Uh, beat him up fight We're like you know just like you and him and like winner take all kind of like things so i really like love that approach yeah yeah it's almost there's almost like a desperation to it and again it, it's so cool what with the the theme of simon coming back in and it almost feeling like you know i got this right um whereas prior to that you, you know generally like we were saying you got you got the boomerangs at that point and uh trying to avoid those little fire spirits he throws at you yes is um is probably the most challenging part of it just because you know they they've got like momentum to them and uh it's it can be hard to avoid that stuff sometimes but it's again it's just a genuinely rewarding and satisfying fight i i can as many times as i play through it i'm never going to get it on the first try because that's just me but um (laughs) i always love you know getting getting about five or six times into it getting the pattern down again after playing you know not having played it for a few years or whatever and and doing it because it's just such a cool fight he dies in an awesome way you know the music's really cool it's it's just such a fun thing Yep, and the ending is just like very satisfying also. Just like, you know, that background graphic, the music playing and everything. It uh, gives you a real sense of accomplishment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this is a game I think you get really good at the game. Uh, I've not checked on YouTube to see what the record is as far as like speedrun of the game goes or anything like that. But I imagine once you get really good at the game, you probably could get through the game start to finish maybe like about an hour and a half, probably. Yeah, but, that sounds about right. So, um, normally first time through, I think it probably is about maybe like 8 to 12 hours of gameplay here, I think. If you're like a quote-unquote average uh, game player as far as like your skills go and everything, I like that kind of stuff. Um, having said that, uh, uh, like, do you have any maybe uh, advice or tips that you may give to somebody who's not played this game before in the past and is interested in picking up like the first time? That's that's a good question. Um, I think my general uh, kind of cop-out advice would just be um, be patient because it's worth it. Um, it's just it's everything about this game is worth experiencing so just doesn't matter how many times you die just keep at it because you'll if you're anything like me you'll get the patterns you'll get it down and get to the point where you can you know get past it without too much trouble as past that um, I, I'm gonna have to say avoid the dagger, I hate the dagger. <laughs> so. uh, 
Well, I can add on to that with a couple things myself. Uh, like, for example, learn the whip. Learn the whip very well. Learn how to use the whip. Uh, learn how to whip in all directions. Learn how to dangle the whip in front of you. Master the whip is very critical with like this game because you are able to get at a lot of enemies from odd angles and like various attack ways that really make the game like really help you out later on. Just like make the game easier. Experiment with weapons. Shoot try to figure out. Uh, which weapon you like best, which weapon best suits your playstyle. You know, no shame in continuing wing, you know, no shame in using save states if you're playing this game by emulation. Um, learning the game, learning the patterns, uh, just getting used to things is like, you know, very helpful. And and just like, you know, stick with it. Because the game can seem very difficult at first, but once you get used to the game and once you learn how to use the whip and how to use the weapons and whatnot, this game has a lot of the same um, strategies that earlier 8-bit, uh, 16-bit games do. The enemies always come the same patterns. Uh, the screens are always the same. Just once you have some experience with knowing what to what to do and what to expect, it makes the game both a lot easier and a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, I can I can agree with all that. I think that's all pretty good advice. Yeah. So a couple of things kind of to finish up our gameplay discussion here. Um, did you know there were secret stages? Um, the only one I knew know about, and that's only because I read about it, was um, there's one of the coffins. I think it's in the treasure treasury level you can get sucked into and brings you into a little bonus level past that i'm not aware of anything there are three bonus areas in the game altogether, and i don't feel bad because it took me years to find these myself um <laughs> uh, you have to whip certain areas to whip certain areas um and do certain things to be able to find them but it's a real pleasure to find them the first time because these bonus areas are loaded with helpful items there are tons of candles like in them um and and, and they tend to usually great for like weapons and hearts and hearts and i believe one up is present in most of them also there's one more i just remembered um sorry to interrupt but yep. like when right before i do want to de declare that i know this one the right before you, you go to the dracula fight you can jump off into thin air um in between these two staircases and then take this invisible staircase down to the far left of the screen and that'll dump off a ton of hearts and um, like a what do you call the the three piece thing where you can yep. you know fire three times, and um, all your weapons and all that stuff. Yep. Once again, that's carried over like in past games also because past games you can do that also. There were a few censorship changes made to this game, like with North American uh, release. So this is back to the time when Nintendo was still very uh, heavy heavy handed in in the games that they came up with their platforms, and they had very strict censorship. Uh, censorship rules. It's not too bad in this game, but if you play the Japanese version, like you'll see that there's certain statues that are covered up, like the North American version, uh, because the Japanese version has like nude statues, uh, like on display with some of like the uh, the artwork and gallery, and they, um, there's also crosses in the Japanese game, which are taken out of this game. So, and isn't it that the all the like goo in um, in the dungeon level was is was blood originally, and they changed it to like a green. I can't remember what color it is, but I want to say all that was supposed to be blood, and they changed it for the North American version to just sort of a nondescript goo. Yes, but at least this time, uh, there are some games that really got hurt, I think, by censorship policies. Uh, this game, luckily, was not one of them. Yeah, these like small touches that would like fit the overall theme of the game better, like they haven't left in, to, but you're not really missing them either, so. Uh, in summary, uh, this is a game that's an awesome example, like the old style school, uh, classic side-scrolling platform action game. Excellent game in the Castlevania series, like I said earlier, you know, this has always been my favorite uh, franchise. To, to me, this is the pinnacle of at least the 2D, you know, like the classic version of Castlevania. It's, right. It's the best, and, and it, 
maybe out of all of them, it's definitely my favorite. Yeah. But it's definitely the best, like, non-Metroid, non-Metroidvania style one, I think. Yep. It's like, I know there are a lot of people listening to, listen, listen to this podcast who did not have Super NES back in the day, who did not have much exposure like the games. This is this is definitely a classic of the system. This is definitely... This oh, is, yeah. This is definitely in anybody's, I, th- I think, like top ten list as like you know best games like the system. Uh, like for good reason. The graphics, the music, the gameplay, like it all comes together just like brilliantly to show up what the system can do. So uh, I highly recommend anybody out there who's not played this game to definitely check it out. And I do real quick want to make an just make a note about the uh, or an observation about the sound design. It's not only the music in this game that's so rich and well done, but the sound effects themselves like. When you, I'm trying to think, there, there's, again, we were mentioning kind of the heartbeat sounds when you move around in the password screens. Like, every, it seems like every enemy has a different sound for when you kill it. Um, which is something I think was kind of, it was kind of been carried over into other um, Castlevania games, like in Symphony of the Night. They're, <laughs> you know, like the, the enemy deaths are just over the top. The zombie officers, I think, when you kill them, they basically split in half and there's a fountain of blood. There's nothing that crazy in Super Castlevania 4, but it just seems like everything just has a nice little, like, you know, kind of weird little sound to go along with its death. And to me, it's just a great little, great little design. And again, it's just all the, like, the draw, the sound of the drawbridge coming down, the sound of the, um, the gates coming up in the beginning. It's just also rich and, like, immersive. I was trying to think earlier like about like any kind of weaknesses or flaws that the game has, and I really can't think of any outside of the fact of the time period the game was made. Uh, this game does have the typical, typical, um, sometimes sometimes brutal, hard action platforming elements with like, the, like some difficult jumps and a couple of cheap depths and whatnot, but it's not really flaws yeah. of the game itself, it's just like flaws of the system uh, that the game came out of. Yeah. So I really can't fault it for that. The password screen is very easy to use. Um, like, you know, like safe states or like a safe feature would have been nice. But again, it's a really simple password screen. The, the only flaw that I think about the game is just pretty much more element about the genre itself that it comes out of. I think there's only one instance of slowdown, at least noticeable slowdown in the game. Yes, and good that's point. where yep. you get to uh, the, and it's, it's, it almost works for it. And I think I remember you guys talking about this in Contra, how it's, it almost enhances the moment because it's like bullet time or something. But you're going across that bridge that's, like, breaking apart as you go. And it's an intense moment. And as the bridge comes apart, it's turning into bats following you. Oh, yeah. Um, you mean that stage, like, toward the end of the game, like, it's playing, like, remix yeah, at the yeah. beginning. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and yeah. And it's just, you've got this big group of bats following yeah. you. And you can, I mean, no matter how good you are, you can only stay just slightly ahead of them. And it's just as a cool... A cool little moment. I mean, there's nothing really to be done other than keep moving, right? But <laughs> that's that you get that slowdown there, and it's just like no, and it's just a really cool feeling. Like I'm barely escaping the bats. Oh no, what am I gonna do? Like yeah, it's fun. I love it. Yeah, the whole game was like very well produced because there were some early Super NES games that suffered from slowdown for sure because the programmers hadn't quite figured out how to master the system yet. Uh, but Konami's yeah. games are always like very well designed. 
you know, like in that regard. So playing this game these days is pretty easy. Uh, the game's available on Virtual Console. Uh, we have like a Wii or a Wii U. Uh, you can play the game like through emulation, like it's easy to find. So, like we're gonna buy the game. Um, Super NES prices right now are kind of on a bubble right now, like an eBay. But this was such a popular game that getting the game on eBay is like pretty cheap and not that bad. Uh, there were I found 559 copies of the game recently sold on eBay, and prices for the card only are pretty like a pretty reasonable. Uh, they range anywhere from like 10 to 65 dollars. So, classic game like this, maybe you can argue it should be a little bit cheaper considering how many copies like are made, but 10 bucks like the game, uh, that's like a no-brainer basically as far as that price goes. And if you want a CIB copy, that's not that bad either. Uh, CIB copies uh, sold anywhere from like 40 to 140 dollars. I found some copies of the game that like available on there that were new and sealed. Uh, they went for like 250, just like 260 bucks uh, for those for those uh, Nutsoid seal collectors out there, so. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. A quick note on, uh, kind of a abrupt subject change, so I apologize, but a real quick note on um, design and artwork for this game. Because um, when you mentioned the cartridge, it made me think about the label design. You know, yes, where Simon's, yeah. it's kind of like an isometric view, and Simon's like whipping through, and there's a skeleton in the foreground, like, ah! Yes. And uh, I, I want to say Simon is blonde, in that in that depiction, like kind of like he is on some of the NES versions, I yeah. think for Castlevania Two, he almost looks like He-Man. It's kind of <laughs> weird, but but then um, obviously the Chronicles version, he's got like long red hair. Yes. And then um, and then the game itself, he appears to have brown hair or something. And then you've got I've only seen it a few times associated with Super Castlevania, but there's this really awful drawing with him in like blue armor. And it looks like it was done by a ten-year-old or something because it's all like disproportionate. <laughs> but um, the the artwork on the the bot or the cartridge itself is really cool and just you know it's like a bygone era. They don't make they don't make the uh, the artwork like that anymore. And to me, it's it's again it's much like Contra Three, like um, just that the artwork depicting the action and making you think, man, I'm I'm gonna love this game. Yeah, the whole package, like from start to finish, is just like you know like awe-inspiring. They really went like above and beyond. Like amazing. They, do you want to make it like next on a game? So, um, yeah. and that's why, Tim, that's why you and I have been raving about it for like so long because it really is because it really is a benchmark. You were one of the great games. Um, I really need to sit down one of these days and make up a list of like my all-time top ten games. Period of of, like, of all time, uh, from Pong like up to mm -hmm. the present. But I am sure this game like could be on that list somewhere. Like, is that good? Yeah, it's really it's really hard to be. Talking about the positive points of this game, I can't imagine ever <laughs> accusing somebody of overstating it, just mm. because it's it it really is to me the pinnacle of Castlevania, mm. but also Super NES design. I know it came so early on, but it's just such a yep. great example of what made the system what made the system uh, unique in its time, but also in the grand scheme of video game history. Um, yes, it's just so it's so special, you know. Yep, definitely, um, and that's a great segue. Also, speaking, we're going to be talking about another, like another great classic, awesome, awe-inspiring game that came out that came out of the system during its lifespan. Uh, this is subject to change, so I apologize if things don't work out exactly this way. But as of right now, fingers crossed, um, I am hoping to be able to get Aaron from the Retro Obscura podcast back on me. Uh, uh, sorry, like back on the podcast with me. Uh, <laughs> Boy, it sounded bad. <laughs> yeah, 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 don't don't edit that out. Uh, oh yeah, like everyone get a kick out of that. <laughs> yeah, um, especially Aaron. So uh, yeah, um, so the next episode, Aaron should be on here again. Um, 
Uh, so it'd be great to have him back on the podcast with me. And we're going to be talking about another great classic game, Flight of the Super NES, one of my all-time favorites, uh, Act Riser. Um, nice. Yeah. So, uh, very like very unique, very unique, great blending game of an action, like an action, like an action simulation game that also came out very early. That, that also came out very early in the Super NES lifestyle, and also made great use of graphics and mode seven and music. So. Yeah, um, yeah. Another another example of a game I didn't experience until much later on, and yes, another example of a great, very early NES title. I think that one was also uh, ninety one or so. So yeah. Yep. So, yeah, so Cameron, it's been great having you on the podcast with me here talking about this awesome games. I appreciate you coming on. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I, can't, I can't overstate the greatness of the game. I can't overstate how, you know, just pumped I've been all week to, to talk about this. It's just, it's been a, a privilege. So speaking about like one great podcast going to another great podcast, uh, why don't you have the listeners out there like a little bit about your own podcast? Well, it's called We're Gonna Need a Bigger Show. I do it with my buddy Mike, and um, it's kind of, it's like general general pop culture. We talk about current stuff, but we've also had some interviews with, we interviewed the co-creator of Are You Afraid of the Dark? We, um, we've done some other kind of stuff like that, that, you know, millennials and, you know, slightly older generations, I guess, will be into. We, we talk about video games, movies, all kinds of stuff, so. And interestingly enough, to tie it in with Castlevania, um, we did something similar with this uh, for Contra. We we know this guy named Todd Rhombus that, and we don't know if he's real or made up or what, but he occasionally sends us scripts, and we occasionally turn those into radio plays. So oh actually, yeah, yep, yep, yeah. We we did a um, he sent us a Castlevania one, and um, it's inspiring. Uh, so <laughs> you, you can just Google Todd Todd Rhombus Rhombus spelled like the shape, mm. and Castlevania. And you'll find it. We got some some pretty solid voice actors together, and uh, I edited it and kind of put in some, spe- you know, talking about how great I thought the the music is for this game. There's a lot of music from the game in the radio play itself, and a lot of the original sound effects and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun. It's so over the top and ridiculous, but a really good time. So yeah, sounds great. And so where can somebody who's like find your podcast out? Our I guess base or whatever is SoundCloud, so we can find us there. But also, we're on Stitcher and iTunes. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, this podcast is also available like on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, you can also find us on the Facebook page, um, and you can also send the email directly at the Super NES Podcast at yahoo.com. Um, so, Cameron, once again, it's like, been great having you on the podcast with me. I uh, hope to have you back at some point, at some point later on, talking about another one of your uh, favorite Super NES games. Oh man! If when if and when you do Final Fight, uh, let me know. Yeah, definitely for sure. So uh, thank you again very much for everybody out there listening to this podcast. Thank you for your support, uh, Cameron. Thanks again, and thank you again to thank all. You. And have a good night, all. Take care. Nintendo controls eighty percent of the video market, but no matter how you play the game or which game you play, things definitely have come a long way since Pac-Man. Now you're playing with power. Deep on power.